Well done. You've passed enough peace. Well done. Um, so we're going to remain standing for the reading of God's word. And before I read it, um, here's why we do this, okay? This is not false humility. This is the reality. Sean Myers, John Demeter, Jim Ellis, Dwayne Hawkins, Vincent Clark, whoever gets up here and preaches, hear me when I say this, we offer you nothing. We offer you nothing. The only thing that's going to bring you faith is faith by hearing and hearing of the word of God. It's going to be the only thing that transforms your life. And there are millions of our brothers and sisters all around the world who wish they could have a chapter of the Bible. They, they, they would, I mean, I, I can tell you stories of people marching miles just to hear parts of the Psalms. And so we stand as we read God's word in reverence to what it does, to how God has given it to us, the power that's behind it. So we sit and just go, God, this is you. You're the one who moves through your word. And so that's why we stand in honor of what it, what it is. And, and, uh, and we want to continue to press into why we read it the way that we do, which I'll explain in a second. So with that being said, as we're standing, let me read our scripture reading today. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. It says this, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's keep going through what we work as our liturgy. Why um, at this time do we now set, as we read God's word, why do we spend time in God's word? So let's go back thousands of years. The first or at least the most clear recorded record of a church service comes from a man named Justin Martyr in the second century. Listen to what he says about this. You ready? Sunday is the day in which we all hold our common assembly because it is the first day in which God, having wrought change in darkness and matter, made the world, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. And on that day that is called Sunday, all who live in cities and all who live in countries gather together into one place. Do you hear that? So no matter where you are, the church is gathering together in one place. No matter what community they're in, they're gathering together. We're coming together. Gather together in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. So then as they gather together, they hear the prophets, they hear the apostles, which is our New Testament, and they sit in that. And then from there, listen to what it says. Then... When the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts uh, to the imitation of these good things. Then someone gets up there, a pastor or a priest. He describes it as a president, which if you want to call me that, that's fine. Um, He comes up and instructs about what they just read. So here's what it says. This is what Peter said, or this is what Paul said. And then they instruct in that time. So that's what we do during this time. We now move into a time of the word. Now, before I read Deuteronomy Uh, chapter 28, and and explain why we're going to go through it this morning and what it has to do with everything. I want to start with how we got here. Uh, In 2010, I just was starting to wrestle with my faith, specifically um, being introduced to Reformed theology. I was at a church that, honestly, theologically, I disagreed with, had a lot of prosperity gospel involved in it. And um, I knew that at the time, God was calling me to church plant, but the tradition that I was in, there was more nepotism than there was kind of church plant language. And so, honestly, we just knew, Kenneth and I knew it was time for us to go as the youth pastor, the outreach pastor, and the missions pastor there at the time. I got involved with some leadership at Redemption, and eventually we made the jump to Redemption Church. 
Um, during that period of time, it was about a two-year period where I worked at a vitamin company. I was in a ministry, worked at a place called Trivita, and um, I worked a big portion of that at, of nights uh, at Trivita. And in there, about a year in, uh, in redemption, really wanting to church plant, really set my uh, gaze on Lake Havasu. We wanted to plant in Lake Havasu, which we will get to that in a second. Um, we wanted to do that, and uh, we started going out there once a week, trying to create Bible studies and really moving in that direction, all the while um, coming on as a resident, a pastoral resident at Redemption Arcadia. And so eventually I became on full-time uh, as a resident. I was only part-time, part-time at the Vitamin Company and part-time um, at uh, Redemption Arcadia for about a year. Eventually after that year, um, worked another two years at Redemption Arcadia. And during that time, God really shifted my focus away from going to Lake Havasu for many reasons. We would go up there, and honestly, I had a savior mentality. I thought for some reason going out there, Sean's going to bring the gospel. I kid you not, listen to the, the depths of my heart. I remember one night driving back from Lake Havasu and honestly picturing that one day they will make a statue of me in Lake Havasu. I'm not kidding. So I pulled the car over, I got out, and I told Candace I was checking the tire, and I just said, God, please don't kill me. <laughs> like, it was unreal. I couldn't believe that my heart had gone to a place like that. And, and so I just knew throughout the working that it's not what we want to do. And so I brought all of my confessing and all of my uh, sin to the, the leaders of Redemption Church and said, man, where do you want us to go? And I brought up the idea of Peoria, the Northwest Valley. And um, they continued to affirm that, having conversations with John Demeter, um, continuing all the while, all this is going on. We have a small group that's meeting every Friday night at our house on 40th Street and Greenway. And that community is starting to really, really grow. Well, as we're starting to think about moving to the West Valley, that community becomes two communities. And that two communities, those two communities end up becoming four communities. And at this point, Frank, who's the lead pastor of Redemption Arcadia, he's preached here a couple times before. He goes, dude, let's start making this move. And on November 9th, I believe it was, in 2014, we officially announced to the congregation that the, co- that the communities that have been meeting in the West Valley are going to plant a congregation, Redemption Peoria, uh, in the month of February of 2015. And so that's what we did. We took 60 people um, and we started to have core group meetings. We met once a month on Sunday night at a, a small Lutheran church. There's a Lutheran church uh, between 91st Avenue and 83rd Avenue. You'll see it. It's a really cool building, honestly. Um, and we met there just once a month doing these core group gatherings, just getting together, talking about what we wanted to do, praying for one another, baptizing, all, just really, really cool stuff. And then eventually we launched the beginning part of February, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, in 2015. And we started on our first Sunday. There's a bunch of people who just wanted to come and support us, but we started at the Peoria Performing Arts Center, and there's about 250 people there. Now, the Peoria uh, Performing Arts Center only seats about 250 people, and it was packed. And we knew that wasn't the people that were our core group. And of course, the next couple weeks showed that because we went down to what about we thought was, was there and about 100, 150 people. And so we, for a year, met at the Peoria Performing Arts Center. And I don't know why. This is not false humility. I don't know why God chose to bless what we were doing. There were many other congregations and churches that were planning around the same time we were, but we went from 60 to 100 people to about 400 people in a year. And God was moving. And um, probably the middle of 2016, earlier part of 2016, we knew we needed to make a move uh, to a bigger place for us to get together. Not just because of the people that are meeting as adults, but even the child care. And so we made the move to Centennial, and we started meeting here at Centennial. Well, as we made that move, there was a lot of things that were going on uh, within me, a lot of things that were struggling within me. I wasn't taking care of myself. It wasn't outright sin, but it just wasn't things that, that were... Um, I was digging into, like I, I can cover up, right? Uh, winning co- solves everything essentially, right? And so we saw, or I saw a church that was growing and I thought, hey, this is a victory all the while, like just 
being a terrible person. And, um, and so while that was going on, the beginning part of 2017, the elders put me on a leave of absence for five months, which was last year. And all the while, I love this. I love this about Redemption uh, Peoria. Um, we live in such a celebrity pastor culture. Like, it tends to be about, I go to hear somebody speak or listen to somebody else uh, lead worship. That's not us. It's just not us. In the beginning part of 2017, let me tell you what didn't happen. Redemption Peoria didn't crumble. We had many people coming in, preaching and teaching, and it may have felt awkward at times, but we were here because we're together. And I felt like it was a good reminder, the 60 people that were meeting at a Lutheran church, that's what we're all about. And from that point, we continue to grow. Now we average, I don't know, around 700 people on Sundays, and God continues to do some really cool things. But here's what I need you to know. That's not what excites me about Redemption Peoria. Better yet, let me say this. That's not the growth that I think God has given us. I'm excited about every single one of you who've decided to be a part of Redemption Peoria. But hear me when I say this. It's the baby dedications. It's the baptisms. It's the stories. Over the last three years, the things that God has done are amazing. And and, and the elders know this. I've struggled immensely with the fact that some of you over here don't even know some of them over there. That, that bugs me because we have to continue to fight as we grow numerically for ways to stay small. We have to figure out how to do this together. We have to continue to share the stories. And it's not the numbers we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that three years ago, Matt Chase had to drop out of school because he had headaches so bad for a year in darkness with migraines, couldn't move. And then over the next two years, through medication slowly tapering off, He finds himself now completely medication-free, not addicted to the medication, and completely headache-free. I've had the opportunity to watch Summer Wallstrom become somebody who's just part of the church, become a phenomenal church, children's church uh, uh, leader. That she, She leads in such amazing ways over there. I've continued to see Tristan, who is 17 years old, be one of the most faithful members we have at Redemption Pure. That dude has grown up in godliness right before our eyes in the last three years. It's amazing. We've continued to see story after story after story. Trista Kerber comes to faith about a year and a half ago, and she's just all out. She's so all out, people don't know what to do with her at a times. Like, what am I supposed to do with? And it's not just her, but her family. Her and Anthony continue to press into the gospel, living a life that was not for Jesus, and now being for Jesus. How do you raise kids? How do you have a good marriage? Watching them press into their faith is encouraging to my soul. That's the growth that I'm talking about. It's, it's the Joneses. I mean, man, what? It's been a while now, almost two years watching Amanda lose her brother, like in sudden death, and watching Redemption Peoria come around her. And what's amazing about that is it's not that we try to just encourage her and weep with her and lament with them, but they encouraged us. Their story said, beyond all hope, when I have no reason to know why God took my brother, I still have faith in Jesus. That's the growth I'm talking about. It's the miles as April goes through miscarriages and, and feels the weight of loss and pain. And, and this, is, this is what you need to know about Josh and April Miles. They don't have family here, y'all. I picked up y'all from Josh Miles. They don't have family here. You and I are their family. Redemption Peoria is what they have. God moves in amazing ways in that direction. How do you begin to explain Parker, a little kid's kidney, completely healed. How do you explain Lisa Lopez, a widow for years upon years upon years, but sit with her and tell me that the joy of the Lord is not with her, 
The gusset community serving in amazing ways, having block parties. Their neighbors surprised by what's going on. The love that exists within the surprise community. Over and over I see this. Tessa continuing to battle with her faith and spirit while cystic fibrosis attacks her body. But still she says yes and amen to the Lord. Look at me, for three years God has been faithful in that way. The numbers are great, but God is moving in our congregation story after story after story after story. And I can only tell you a part of this. Ask the elders. Ask the leaders what God is doing. He's been faithful. For three years, he's been with us. I don't know why. I don't know why he's shown grace to us. But look at me. That's what we'll celebrate. We're always going to celebrate that. I mean, this, God could blow this thing up tomorrow. And if we got together as a staff and leaders and elder, elders... We're going to continue to tell God's story. He's doing something amazing. Part of me wants to like look across the room and, and notice all that God is doing. Like Stephanie and Franco five years ago asked them, would you have raised your family uh, around the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not a chance. I knew them. Not a chance. But here they are. Alicia is unbelievably faithful. Nick, who's my friend and a bum, doesn't come to church on Sunday. And I call him out weekly. But here she is, faithful with her kids loving Jesus Christ, asking questions about Romans. Look at me. God's doing something. And, and as excited as I am about the numbers, God is faithful in growth in all different ways. So I think the question that I want to ask then is why is that happening? Like, is that something we can do? Is that, is that something? And what does that have to do with this time now? Well, hear me. This is the only thing I can come up with. We at Redemption Peoria have decided to devote ourselves to the Word of God. Um, maybe you don't believe me. Let me read something to you from Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and 12 through 14. This is what it says. I read the first two verses already, but let's read through this and, and, uh, and try to understand it. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. And if you obey the vo- if you obey the voice, I'm sorry, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall you be shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Now, he goes on over and over, even curses that if you don't follow the word of God. Now, here's what I want to be careful about this. What he's putting in front of Israel saying, listen, if you follow my commands, if you look at my lead and you continue to march in the words that I have put in front of you, you will be blessed. Now, don't trip because Creflo Dollar, Joel Olstein, Stephen Furtick, they don't own the word blessing. Deuteronomy 28 is in the Bible and it belongs to the true gospel. So when we read these words, we can understand and filter everything that we understand as he's saying to the people of Israel, we are a New Testament, kingdom of God people. And simply put, the, the, the people that are most blessed in this world are the ones who are in Jesus Christ. We are fully human. So, so I say this, you may hear blessing and prosperity and go, well, wait, does it mean this or does it mean that? No, no, no look at me. Ask the Joneses when they found out about the loss. Ask the Joneses when they're weeping in the, the hospital room. Are you blessed? And they will respond, yes and amen. Ask the miles. In the face of loss, are you blessed? Yes and amen. I think for us to see what God is putting in front of us in Deuteronomy 28 is a recognition 
but he will continue to desire to give you good things, even when hidden in dark things. And as he continues to press in, the only way we can know that true blessing is if we surround our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength around the word of God. Let me read something uh, from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right? So here's all the ways you shouldn't do. Blessed are you if you don't go around sinning. That's true. Absolutely. But... But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what is the fruit of meditating on the law of the Lord day and night? You ready? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. This is what every Sunday you're going to come here and listen. It's the word of God that, that transforms We're going to open it up and we're going to explain it. We're going to try to understand it because it's the flashlight in the caverns of our culture. How do we know who Jesus is? Look at me. I want to know him. Like Exodus 33, 11, Moses spoke with the Lord as a man speaks to his friend. If that's real, I want it. If this Christian thing's legit, then I'm all in. If we can really know him, then I'm going hard after him. I am. And the only way I can know My compass is leading me in the right direction. The only way I can know Jesus in the way that he says, in the way that he says he is, is the word of God. We're going to continue to press into the Bible because it continues to bring us life. It continues to guide us. And my prayer would be that we would know, I mean, a verse all the time I put Hebrews 4, 12, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And then listen, it's a discerner of our innermost thoughts. It, it processes what we're processing and it, and it spits out the right view of God. In 2 Timothy 3, chapter 15, it tells us it makes us wise into salvation. In 16, it says it's perfectly profitable as it's breathed out by God for reproof, for teaching, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. You want to be complete. You want to be trained in righteousness. Then read your word. Then don't de- devote yourself to Sundays around anything else but the Bible. That's what's going to train us. My prayer that all, would be that all of us would pray Psalm 119, 18 to 20, open the eyes of your word so that I might understand it faithfully. And it, I love this in verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your word constantly. Is that true? Is that true of us? All I can say is on Sunday, we're going to make it be so. I think God has been faithful to redemption Peoria because we continue to press into his word. We continue to want to know him more. And suffering's coming. Look at me. A car accident is coming. Miscarriages are coming. You can't avoid that grandma, that grandpa, that mom, that dad, that friend from dying. It's going to happen. The sin that you're stuck in, the frustration, the only way you're going to be able to navigate those waters is the Bible. And that's why every single Sunday, as we go through our liturgy, we stop and pause Say, let's talk about what's most important. Let's talk about what brings us faith. Let's talk about what stirs our soul, the Bible. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Um, And I know that's short because we're going to still continue to explain in our liturgy big portions of what's going on um, uh, on the back half. But here's what I want to do. Um, At this time, I always, as I finish or whoever's teaching finishes, we set this time aside to just be for a couple minutes, okay? I want to explain why we do this. Um, there's something called Lectio Divina. Um, it's a practice, just means divine reading. There are certain, um, 
monk practices that almost feel mystic in nature. And, and in the Reformed community, we're almost afraid of them. But I can tell you one thing that I have not seen very strong in the Reformed community as um, I've entered into it the last five years is meditation. We're just not good at being quiet and meditating. We know the Bible really well. We can tell you the ins and outs and, and how to break down every participle in Greek, but there's parts where we don't sit. And so every single Sunday, we're just going to be. Because again, the word of God needs to do something to you. I can bring nothing to the table. And so here's what I would ask. Where are you at with the Bible? Let's start from the baseline. Maybe you're going, I don't even know if I believe it. Maybe I believe it, but I don't understand it. Maybe I understand it, but I don't read it a lot. Maybe I read it a lot, but I don't like reading it a lot. Where are you at with the Bible? Do you believe it's the only thing, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God according to Romans 10, 14? Do you believe that to be true? God has given you a gift in his word. Where are you at with it? I can't give you that answer, but we're going to take a couple minutes let God stir our soul, hopefully answer that, and then I'm going to come back up, and then I'm going to walk us through the, in detail, how we respond corporately. Take some time just to be by yourself, and then we'll respond corporately in a minute. such an individualistic culture that 
um, we have to be reminded that though God talks to us individually, we can't stay there. It's important for you to know that we respond corporately intentionally because there is no Christianity outside of being together. I've shared these, these numbers with you. But listen, 95% of the yous in the New Testament are plural. There's over 101 and others. There is no Christianity without brothers and sisters being together in the faith. That Christianity does not exist in the Bible. So maybe you or your friends say, well, I, I like Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I don't do the church thing. But then you don't do the Jesus thing. So, so together we, we respond corporately. Now, there's a few ways that we do this. So I, I want to take a moment and explain them because we kind of just do them maybe half-heartedly, not even knowing or callously. We just kind of go through the, the, the motions. One way we respond is we give. Now, I want to read something again from Justin Martyr's first apology, the, the 68th chapter, as he's describing what it looked like to get together. Listen to what he says. And they who are well-to-do and willing give what each thinks fits, and what is collected is deposited with the president, who secures the orphans and the widows and those who through sickness or any other cause were in want, and those who are in the bonds of strangers or sojourning among us, or in a word, takes care of all who are in need. The early church got together, went through the Bible, went through the Word of God, and then they would gather this offering together to take care of the orphans and the widows. And hear me, yes, it is true. If you come here on Sunday and you give or you consider yourself part of this congregation, my, I am able to be a pastor and do what I do every week through counseling, uh, through preaching, through leadership development. Josh is able to do what he does and John Demeter is able to do what he does, Summer and Jim, because of this church's generosity. That's true. We have to pay the rent. We have to pay the lights. But that's a portion of what this goes to. Our heart continues to be to move as a congregation towards giving more than we even use on ourselves. That we want to take care of the orphans. We want to take care of the widows. We want to address those who are aging out of the foster care system. Press into the hurt and the poor and marginalized in our city. That's what we'll continue to do. And so we give. Now, this is important. Hear this next part. If you don't feel like you believe in what we're doing, and you don't call this place your home. And matter of fact, you might get upset that we would um, spend the money that we the way that we are, or, or you you don't like giving to a church. I say this as graciously and as pastorally as I can. We don't want your money. We don't. We want to give as a church, not to a church. And if you don't call this place your home, that's okay. So we give. There's boxes in the back. You can put cash or checks in the back. We also give online. You can text Redemption Peoria to 77977, or you can visit our website. But we want to give. We want to continue to invest uh, in the hurt, uh, the poor around us, because that's exactly what Jesus did, becoming poor so that we might become rich, according to Corinthians. So um, we give. That's the first way that we respond. Here's the second way we respond. We take communion, okay? I'm glad you're comfortable because I need to explain this in a little more detail. Um, there's the practical ways in which we take communion, but there's the theological ways as well. So let me start with the theological ways. I'll give you a couple hundred dollar words. So if someone asks, why do you take communion? You can sound fancy. There's four ways that, uh, to view communion. First is something called transubstantiation. If you grew up Roman Catholic, this is a view of what communion is. I'll let you Google that word later. Second word is consubstantiation. It's something from the Lutheran tradition. We don't practice that as well. Uh, let's skip down to the fourth view. A fourth view is what modern 
Protestants that casually kind of practice, and it's called something memorialism. It's the idea that um, maybe quarterly or monthly we take communion remembering what Jesus did for us, and that's good. Now, we take memorialism and we believe that, but we hold to something called receptionism. So if ever asked, what kind of communion practice do you do at Redemption Curia, we hold to receptionism. It's the idea that we are not only looking back at what Jesus did and looking forward that one day he'll return, but we believe that when you get out of your seats and you take the piece of bread and you dip it in wine or juice, you're remembering that Jesus is with you right now. Let me read something to Calvin. I think Calvin said it perfectly. He said this, Whenever you see the symbols instituted by the Lord in the supper, you are to think and feel surely persuaded that the truth of the thing signified is also present. Meaning, we don't just remember what Jesus did, but as we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the wine or juice, we're remembering the very one who went through the suffering that we're recalling to our mind, that he is with us in that moment. So receptionism, for whatever that's worth. Now, what do we do practically? Because in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray, and we're going to take it. We practice at Redemption Peoria something called intinction. Now, intinction simply means to dip. Uh, This is not something that all of Redemption practices. Congregations practice it differently, but we have chosen to practice intinction for a couple different reasons. Um, And I want to explain those reasons because I think they're important for us as we process what we're doing. The first reason is this. As you, you take a piece of bread and you dip it into um, a, a cup, that cup that you dip that piece of bread into, all of us, or at least the front row is going to the first section and the back row, there is a corporate cup. We all are participating in what Jesus would pray, Father, remove this cup for me, not my will, but your will be done. We are participating together in the sufferings of Christ. Now, we don't want you to drink it because as we practice intinction, there's a few things about this. We first, I think this is something that's lost in the theology of intinction. As we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice, we're remembering as Jesus sat with his disciples, he took the piece of bread, he dipped it into the wine, and who did he hand it to? Judas. We're remembering not that we were just saints and our saints on our own fervor or swag or righteousness, but no, we rise from our seats and we go take and participate in the Lord's Supper because at one time we hated the Lord and we were just as willing to betray him. Lastly, the reason that we do intinction is there's something to be said about the symbolic nature of a piece of bread being soaked in wine or juice. As you look at that piece of bread, I can't help but think of of skin-soaked blood. That we remember that no matter how hard Mel Gibson may try, he could not show the horror of the cross. We remember how uh, brutally um, beat up, scarred, and beaten Jesus really was. And that blood is real. So that's why we practice intinction. And I appreciate um, those of you who might come and say, well, that's not, I want to sip from the cup. We've had some confusion around that. Um, We would ask you to please participate in communion through intinction and not that way. And if you still have questions, I would love to help you navigate why we do it the way that we do, okay? But that's how we practice it. So if I can have the communion holders come forward, and if I can have you stand to your feet, that would be great. Here's how this is going to work if you're new. In our liturgy, we would love for you to come forward, okay? Now, the reason we'd love for you to come forward is we want movement. Maybe you came from a congregation that has plastic cups and the kind of stale wafer, which some of our congregations do. We don't do that because we want movement. We want you to move. 
And as you get up and move, we'd love for you to come forward, but the room won't allow us to do it. So we move to the right. And here's what I want you to know. As you move to the right, you're going to notice the people that are to my left, your right, holding the elements are different almost every week. And here's why. The people that are holding communion are just in communities. They're not elders. They're not super spiritual. They're not priests. They're not pastors. We hold to a priesthood of all believers. And in that sense, God has called us to serve one another. So when you go, you take a piece of bread, you remember Jesus' body that was broken for you. And you dip it in wine or juice. The reason we do wine or juice, it's a preference. I would air most likely what Jesus had at that moment was wine. But he says, great from the, the, the vine. So it could be wine or juice. By, according to your preference. And then we give you freedom. In that moment, you can dip it and you can take it. Or you can take it back to your seat, pray, pray with your friend, pray with your spouse, whatever you want to do there. But here's how it's going to work. Starting in the front row, you'll move to your right. The back section, same thing. And we'll continue to move, uh, we'll work our way through. We'll come back. We'll work our way all the way around. The very bottom section is gluten-free, if that's something. There's no intentionality behind that in liturgy. Just some of you aren't man enough to eat real bread, um, including my wife. So um, take that for whatever it's worth. Let me pray uh, for you and uh, communion, and then we'll move along in our service. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this time. Thank you for communion. That we are not just remembering what you did or what you will do in returning. We're not just proclaiming that truth. But you're with us right now. As your saints got out of their seats, Holy Spirit, you're whispering in their ear. As they moved to their right, Jesus, you were walking with them. You were reminding them that their old life is gone. They are a new creation in you. And that they are remembering that because you gave your life, we are called to do the same because you are our master. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We remember the covenant. We remember the blood. We remember the broken body. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, before you move forward, here's what I want to say. I know usually we're supposed to do this. If you're not a believer, this is, I forgot to explain this, so I apologize. We do something, a partial, something called fencing the table. Here's why we do this. If you're not a believer, it's kind of silly to, to, take communion, right? Because you don't believe Jesus is with you right now. So this is like doing some kind of symbolic nature, like doing the Pledge of Allegiance all the while going, I don't believe anything that I'm saying here. Why would you do that? That's, that's, that's dumb. So here's, we fence the table because we feel like it honors those who are truly taking communion in reverence, but also for you. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, you don't need communion, the symbolic nature. You need Jesus. So we'd ask you to take Jesus, spend some time People are going to walk by you, and that's fine, and say, Jesus, I want to know you more. And maybe for the first time you take communion and remember it's what he has done, but maybe not. And then we're going to save a big portion of our worship at the end, as we've already talked about. We'll sing some songs together. So when you're ready, you can move to your right and find your way back up to your seat and stay standing.